Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. Keith, always good to see you. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Still disappointed. Still disappointed. I know uh, Clemson fans are more disappointed than I am, but, um, you know, I I was – shock is too strong a word, but I had not watched Ohio State much, and uh, they played well. They comported themselves, to use an old man term. So hold on, though. Are you telling me that you were cheering for the ACC in those semifinals last week? Gosh, I I guess I got to admit that, Tommy. I know that's a stretch, but I guess I got to admit that. Well, I don't know that this counts as cheering for the ACC. I was rooting for Notre Dame just for something different, even though I knew what was going to unfold. I actually felt like Ohio State was going to play really well and, and might have a chance to win that game, but I didn't expect it to go the way that it did. Anyway, uh, it's not an ACC championship. Fittingly, uh, given the COVID year, there's some questions about whether Ohio State has enough guys to play on Monday that arose yesterday. Keith, I think everybody would just be fine if we just de- declared co-champs like the old days. We'll have an AP champ and a UPI champ, and we'll just end the season. Wouldn't everybody be good with that at this point? Oh, man. Now you'd have both camps, or both sides of the equation erupting. Uh, but I hear you. I do hear you. And it's interesting to me, too, that, um, you know, one of the things that didn't get talked about that I think was unbelievably uh, apparent in the Clemson game is the fact that uh, Coach Elliott was not calling plays. Uh, C.J. Spiller was calling plays, and Dabo as well. And uh, don't ever underestimate uh, the play-calling um, part of a, of a big game. You know, when you're favored over someone, you can out, out-athlete them. That's one thing. But when you're playing someone of equal talent – that play calling and putting that game plan together uh, is uh, very, very important. And it appeared to me that Clemson did uh, at least a little bit uh, were negatively affected by Coach Elliott not being able to call plays. That's certainly fair. I also think, though, it was 
to me, it seemed apparent that Ohio State was better at the line of scrimmage on both sides, and that took its toll as the game went on, too. I, w- I would agree, uh, because, again, Clemson routinely doesn't play someone that is as talented as they are, particularly on, on, the, on the line of scrimmage. And uh, Ohio State's A team, as it would Alabama, would, be a, would have been as well, that uh, can match up very well there. This is sort of old news, so I don't want to go too far down this line, Keith. And you were, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to mind your assignments and take care of business. But and you played on underdog Florida State teams, but you didn't play on a on a Florida State team that felt like it should be ranked number two or three in the country. And the opposing coach said, I ranked them number 11 because I don't think they deserve to be ranked in the top four. How would you have reacted to that? Would that have motivated you or your teammates at all? Because to me, it feels like it clearly motivated Ohio State. No question. Now, again, you know, you and I've had this conversation, motivation and that pregame talk and that being fired up and being enthusiastic lasts about two plays. You know, first time you get hit in the mouth, that rah-rah crap goes out the window and you got to play the rest of the game based on game plan and what you're doing. But certainly in terms of talking about it during the buildup to the game and talking about it amongst the players themselves, uh, Dabo did not do Clemson any favors uh, by either it being revealed and or him announcing it and then more importantly trying to defend it uh, in terms of where he had them ranked. Uh, that, that was not a good move on his part, period, the end. Let me set the table for what's coming up today, and then I want to go back to this topic because it reminds me of Deion Sanders, and I'll explain that in a second. Jim Curry, Senior Associate Athletics Director from Florida State, is going to join us next segment. We'll talk a little bit about what the 21 schedule may look like and if it's on track. We'll talk briefly about name, image, likeness, bigger picture conversation about long-term potential changes to the college landscape based on what unfolded with COVID. So that's next segment. And then Bob Ferrante our Osceola insider. Of course, you have newcomers for Florida State football arriving this week. You've got basketball on a COVID hiatus right now. A lot to talk about, even though there's there's not games. Here's the Dion story, and it relates to this, Keith. I, I agree with what you're saying. Once the rah-rah speech is over and, and toe hits leather to use jeans, that, that's all out the window. But it does affect how well you mentally prepare and physically prepare during the week. And Dion, you know this, he used to say something absurd on Monday of game week. Now, this is pre-social media going way back about Andre Risen or Florida, whoever it was, the opponent. And then he would turn around and outwork everybody else on the FSU team the rest of that week. And when you asked him about it, he'd say, well, I threw that out there. Now I worked hard because I have to back up what I was saying. And so there is – it's, it's not quite apples to apples, but there's some parallel there to getting your work week done with that kind of ambition. Well, and the whole issue of bulletin board material uh, was certainly way different during Dion's time and, you know, 10, 15 years before that, my time. But in today's world with social media and that type of thing, it gets to the forefront very quickly. Uh, I think the thing that uh, was, was lost, and I will say this to defend Dabo, because I've been fortunate enough to spend just a little bit of time with him in, in prior years, uh, before, candidly, before Clemson was this good, that uh, he's one of these guys that that doesn't mind telling you about his convictions. And in his mind, it wasn't that Ohio State wasn't qualified to be in the playoffs. Right. It was that they had only played five or six games. So, therefore, they should not be in the discussion because of that. 
And that got lost in the process. He still shouldn't have done it. But to defend Dabo a little bit, you got to understand where he's coming from. You're going to have to change podcasts if we're going to make a living defending Dabo, uh, Keith, just for the record. Understood. I'll shut up now. (laughs) I thought my biggest takeaway, moving it off of the current Clemson team, Jimbo used to say it, and we would kind of scoff at it, but if, if winning was easy, everybody'd do it. Well, this this last few years, the Trevor Lawrence era for Clemson, what it proves is that it's hard to win national championships. We know this, but Florida State fans lament 98, 99, 2000, the winky years. Florida State played in three straight title games and only won one of them. And honestly, if you compare it in that three-year run, FSU won a title and won a Heisman, which is more than what Clemson did in its three-year run with Lawrence because he didn't win the Heisman. And I'm not picking on – I'm not trying to diminish Clemson. I'm really just trying to, to make the point that all you can do is try to get at-bats and credit to Alabama because they've hit home runs on their at-bats. But just about everybody else, you know, you're going to strike out sometimes. And, you know, the age-old thing, it's been around forever. It, it, you know, it's harder to stay on top of the mountain than to get to the mountain. I know there are coaches out there that don't allow their players to think that way, but the reality is – it's hard to stay on top, and everybody's shooting at you because you got a you got that uh, target on you. Uh, but I, I thought, you know, I thought Ohio State did what they needed to do to to dispel and to uh, quieten myself included that said that only because they played five six games whatever it was that they didn't merit being there. We'll see how they do against Alabama. But uh, that that part of the discussion, I think, was cleared up for me. One last take, and then we'll go to break here. The Heisman ceremony was last night. Devontae Smith wins it. That's who I thought was going to win it based on late season surge. I guess I lost track of it in my mind. I didn't realize he was only Alabama's third Heisman winner. Did you have that in tow? They hadn't won a Heisman until Mark Ingram did it in 2009. Yeah, uh, that was one of the things that was talked about prior to Ingram winning it. Because yeah, I'd forgotten you, that. I'd forgotten Yeah, because you look at, you know, you know the Joe Namaths, and, uh, and uh, well, didn't Bart Starr play at Alabama? I'm going way back. But, I mean, they've had some unbelievable talent. But it was all about Alabama as a team, and, and therefore, you know, not a lot of the notoriety that was associated with it. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit of a, of a – are you serious? Is that really the case? But I will tell you this about him. Uh, um, I I had not watched a lot of Alabama football. Uh, That kid is unreal. I mean, he has that it factor that, um, you know, the the wide receiver that I come closest to being able to associate with him uh, is Peter Warwick because he, he just has the ability to make people miss in the open field. I mean, it's not just because he's 6'4 and 240 pounds and runs a 4'3", 40. Those are not his height, weight, and measurements, by the way. But just his feel for the game and being able to settle down in zone coverage and setting up blocks after he catches it and, and his route running. And, and I mean, he, he was deserving of that, of that award uh, even though we all want to pull for the quarterbacks or the running backs. 
Yeah, and I, Peter was a different kind of player, but I think one parallel I see for sure is the ability to go from zero to top speed, whatever that is, on a dime. Because when he was going around the corner on Notre Dame's linebackers, it looks like he was running around me. I mean, he just shifted into second gear and was out racing those guys. It was it was impressive last week. All right, Jim Curry from FSU coming up. I want to remind our listeners, uh, and you you may have seen some of this from Seminole Boosters or just in general, but Top Golf Live is bringing its – Uh, iconic experience at Doak Campbell Stadium in mid-February, February February 11th through 14th. Uh, Many of you have been to Top Golf. If you're listening in in bigger cities in Tallahassee, you know what it is. Uh, So this is sort of the remote version, but we're going to transform Doak into a Top top Golf venue where you can come out, you can get uh, food and beverage and uh, share a bay there with with your buddies, your friends, your family, whoever, uh, and and literally hit golf balls uh, in Doak Campbell Stadium. And for, for information, Go to TopGolfLive.com or SeminoleExperience.com. And here's the thing, because I thought about this, Keith, and you know I'm not a golfer. I I very well know you're not a golfer, Tommy. I have played golf with you once. Yes, and you may – we could do a whole segment on how I'm not a golfer, but we're not going to do that now. Uh, So this is going to be set up in the end zone at at Doak, uh, basically below the Champions Club, sort of on the – the mezzanine that comes off the university center club behind where the marching chiefs normally set up. I know this past year they moved to the opposite end zone. So, you know, golfers can hit the ball pretty far. I'm not sure if there's any uh, awards or payment due if you take out coach Norvell's window or anything like that. So I asked this question, I've not been to top golf. Basically the clubs you use are such that you can't hit it as far as you normally could with, you can't bring your own set of golf clubs. That's the disclaimer. Well, uh, now, it wouldn't be a wouldn't be a problem for me. <laughs> two things. Number one, it wouldn't surprise me that a net gets stretched somewhere, much like the net behind the uh, goalposts for extra point and field goal. But I don't know that. No, no, there is there is. I asked that question. There is some yeah. netting going up. And the second part of it is, I can tell you, you could give me a pitching wedge, and I could screw it up enough that I could hit it two hundred yards. I can blade a wedge better than anybody you know. So I don't know that uh, restrict. hopefully it's restricted flight balls and very, very wedge-like clubs because idiots like me can defy physics sometimes. It should be fun. I know that. I'm interested to see it. Topgolflive.com. It's coming up uh, February 11th to 14th. So I check it out, get some more information. All right, Jim Curry from uh, FSU Athletics right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. We're going to open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to Jim Curry, who's been on the program before, Senior Associate Athletics Director at Florida State. And Jim, uh, good to see you. First of all, we're doing this via Zoom, so we actually get to connect that way. But uh, you could have never anticipated that the last year would be what it was. And it's been challenging no matter what arena you're in, but certainly in college athletics, this has been a, a nine or 10 months, unlike any you could have forecast. 
I think that's a really good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, we were not, if we were not on live radio, he might say a few other things. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd say it any better, Tom. <laughs> I, I reached out to you because I wanted to talk about potential big pitch, picture implications of, of what the last several months were. Uh, and this ranges from college football playoff to how the ACC does its scheduling to all these type things. Because Keith and I, when this started, you know, and it's funny how things just come back around. But when we're in May or June and maybe you're not having a football season, not just Keith and I, but there was this this thought that, well, college athletics, you know, no coaches will get fired this year. Everybody's going to have to back their budgets off. But it, and even though that's happening for obvious reasons, it seems like maybe we're going to revert to the norm again when it comes back. So. I guess as a starting point, do you do you think there will be some some mid course corrections here based on on what's transpired in terms of yeah, long term college athletic future? Yeah, we all yearn for I think whatever normal used to be. I think there's a recognition across the board that there is going to be a, a little bit of a new normal. I mean, there will be a reset somewhere, and I think you're starting to see that um, kind of crystallize in the minds of a lot of leaders across that college athletics that you know, there might be a better way to do this, um, whether that be budgets or recruiting or uh, contracts or what have you. Um, but but this has maybe accelerated. I think people are already thinking that a little bit, but this has really accelerated that that thinking or, or, or that exploration as to, you know, some other ways to maybe operate this industry as a whole. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to kind of see what comes out of that. Um, but at the same time, that's all occurring against the backdrop of, of all these other larger issues, whether that be transfer, whether that be NIL. Um, so uh, we, we certainly don't lack for agenda items on uh, weekly meetings around here. That's for sure. Jim, one of the things you mentioned, and we'll start there because you can't have a program if you don't have recruits. Mm-hmm. And of course, the no contact thing, as well as the transfer portal, have really come to the forefront And the one big thing that has been said is that we're going to allow transfers and they don't have to sit out a year. Technically that's a temporary thing or, or for a current year thing, that might be the first thing that becomes permanent. Your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I I think we are all fully anticipating that to become permanent. Um, And it it may become official here just the next few weeks um, as the council and, and NCAA convention virtually kind of, takes place. So um, that'll all also be happening with, with NIL conversations. So again, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of heavy items there, but yeah, I, I think we do anticipate that. And I will tell you that just what we see um, in portal activity, um, you know, certainly supports that as well. Um, it, it's changing things on the recruiting side. And um, you know, I'm curious to see where this kind of falls because what we're seeing is a lot of guys in the portal, not everybody getting picked up. And this is a general statement, not just about Florida State. Um, but then also, too, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see the impact on um, what that does to really the high school guys. Um, because scholarships that, you know, the, the 23rd, 24th, 25th scholarship on, you know, in football that would have gone to a high school guy, does that now get put aside and saved for, you know, guys to jump who jump in the transfer portal after the season? And then what does that trickle down look like? Does, does group of five and FCS football benefit uh, from those guys becoming the first, second, third guy on their, you know, scholarship count, as opposed to the 23rd, 24th or 25th guy on the scholarship count. Um, You know, one thing we always think about, um, 
I, I think the the nefarious side of the transfer piece where guys are, are trying to recruit or, or pull guys from group of five or FCS uh, programs to come play up. But we also know that there are guys at, at power five programs who um, are sitting at the bottom of the depth chart looking for opportunities. And, and, and those are, you know, th- those are, you know, real opportunities that they're looking for um, with the best of intentions, just trying to look for some, some playing time and some minutes. And so we sometimes forget about that group when we talk about the transfer portal overall because they're they're looking for opportunities as well. So, Not to get too deep in the weeds, and excuse me, Tommy, but uh, the other thing that concerns me, you mentioned the 23rd, the 24th, and the 25th. What bothers me is that you have someone that doesn't sign on early signing day at the high school level, and then four kids over a three-week period become available in the transfer portal, and Florida State takes them. And you were going to sign eight kids from high school in February, but now you only got four slots and you got to tell those four kids that quote unquote committed, but signed late, you don't have a spot for them. That that's got to be a absolute heartache and a headache for coaching staffs. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's certainly a moving target. And, and just what we've seen, even just with the number of guys going into the portal um, since this, since, returning from new year's and the winter break um, the, the numbers just keep ticking up. Um, it, it, it's the, the volume is, is incredible. And I, I, what I'm curious to see in, in future years is, is whether or not there is a little bit of a recalibration there um, in that analysis of students who are thinking about going into the portal, because for as many are going in and looking for opportunity, they all aren't getting a scholarship opportunity. And again, that's not just talking about the Florida state guys. It's talking about the, the whole, the industry as a whole. Jim, we were going to do big picture, but we've already dived into the weeds. So I'm curious on this, you know, when you, when you recruit a high school kid, there's a lot of work that goes into, well, what do his academics look like? Uh, sort of vetting the prospect. And then you get to the transfer portal. And I know that it's probably easier to get good information because they've, somebody has already played two years at an institution. So a coach can call his coaching buddies and say, Hey, can this, can this guy help us or not? But on the academic side and the other, you know, before you're in the portal, does does the the current institution have to check a box that says, you know, on track to graduate or has X amount of hours? Or there, is there some sort of due diligence? Because some of these guys are announcing they're in the portal and 24 hours later, they're recommitted somewhere. How is that all transpiring that quickly? Yeah, yeah, that's an important part of the uh, part, important part of the evaluation. Um, and, and, you know, part of that is trying to help educate some of these student athletes as they're going in, which I know is a focus of our, of our compliance group um, when they, when they're afforded the opportunity too, because sometimes the kids get a little too far ahead of the, the folks who are there to try to help assist them in the process. Um, and then, um, but, but again, it's just, it's, it's, it's like evaluating a high school guy in the sense that they're going to evaluate the academics. You just have a, now a, a larger body of work to evaluate both from the high school side and what they've done on the college side, but that also goes for, for film too. Um, you just have a larger body of work to evaluate, but that is cert- that, that has to be part of the evaluation when those guys are getting in the portal. And, and last question at this level, because uh, it's been widely talked about from people who dive into recruiting, but so there's 85 scholarship limit for this year, although it'll be exceeded for anybody that hasn't exhausted their eligibility for this, for this coming year, i.e. seniors could return and not count against the 85, but year to year, you can only bring in 25. Is that right? And it counts freshmen and anybody in the transfer portal, or is there wiggle room on that 25 figure at all? Yeah. Good question, Tom. So 
It's 25. And what one of the most impactful changes in that regard came just a few years ago, 20, when they changed the whole recruiting model, got rid of satellite camps and added the 10th coach and everything. But embedded in that was a, um, an annual limit of 25 signees. And it has to capture everybody. It's, 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 it's high school, it's Juco, it's transfers, it's grad transfers, it's all of that. And where it differs, and it runs parallel to the initial counter limit of 25 that we've all become accustomed to. So there's two 25s running parallel side by side. The, the key difference between the two is, and where, where we see ourselves get capped and others get capped primarily is in that annual limit. Initial counter limits that we've had for years and years that we're all accustomed to only account for the, to the individuals that actually matriculate to the institution. So if you had a guy who was a non-qualifier, you had a guy that pursued other opportunities and they signed with you, um, they wouldn't count against your initial counter limit of 25 because they didn't matriculate. The annual limit does capture those individuals. And so as we've gone through those, as we've gone into our 25 over the years, we do have a couple individuals that we signed, didn't matriculate to the institution for whatever reason. Um, heck, one of them was a guy that went uh, to play pro baseball. Um, and, uh, and, but those are counting against our 25, but not counting as an initial counter. And so this was, this rule had been on the books for a long time, but the number was higher. And it was 28 at one point, there was a lot of exceptions. And then in that, in that recruiting model reset that, that uh, took place in 2016, 2017, um, they moved that number down to 25 and it, and it is a very hard 25. Well, the good news is changing subjects. When it comes to scheduling, you don't have to schedule out anymore because that'll just be taken care of for you year to year, right? You'll just get on a conference <laughs> call every Monday and say, who do you want to play this week? <laughs> We're t- oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's I, t- let, go ahead, Jim. Finish that. Yeah, yeah go ahead. We can, talk, we, can touch, we can touch on that subject if you like. We're talking with Jim Curry from Florida State Athletics. So normally the ACC releases its schedule you know, kind of between January 15th and signing day, the last two weeks of January, that's been the pattern for a number of years, certainly mid-January to mid-February. Is that going to happen this year? Or are we going to hold things later because we still don't know what COVID looks like and what 2021 looks like? Or what's your thought on that? Uh, sorry, Tom, I kind of, you broke up there for a second, if you don't mind, just uh, Zoom technology here. I got you. No, I was just, that. you know, in terms of the ACC schedule release, normally it's it's mid to late January. Is that Are we tracking on time for that or is COVID, you know, going to push things back? Yeah, at this point in time, we seem to, we, we, we are on track uh, with the normal time frame. Um, there, there's been a lot of conversation uh, regarding the schedule composition and the, and the release uh, over the last month. Um, ADs have done a great job there. Um, and so at this point in time, we would, we expect it to, to be on the same timeline, which is, you know, mid to late January. So that would indicate to me because this past year, the ACC obviously played 10 conference games. You didn't have divisions. So I'm, I'm curious. And, and we're at a point based on where the, uh, the crossover opponent scheduling is that we're, that we're not that many years away from when you'd need to identify the next set of crossover opponents or future scheduling. Really what I'm asking is, is there, is there conversation at the conference level of the ACC permanently eliminating divisions or, or changing the scheduling model at all, or is it going back to status quo for now? Yeah. So you, we talked at the outset about some of the things that we learned um, or, or some things that for us to kind of consider from the COVID environment that may um, you know, roll into a, 
I guess, whatever the normal, the new normal environment will be. Um, and, and certainly football scheduling has been part of that conversation, you know, with where we are within the ACC right now, and, and just kind of um, sharing a little bit of some of the conversation among the ADs here, um, you know, we, you got a new commissioner coming in, um, you're working on a really short timeline here. Um, so it, it's not a great environment right now to make any substantive changes on that front. Um, so the plan right now is just to kind of treat 21 like we were already planning to treat it, you know, previously, uh, both in terms of opponents and composition and divisions and what have you. Um, so that, that planning is, is taking place with, with that kind of in mind. And, uh, you know, I think with, with the onboarding of a new commissioner, um, with uh, what we've learned uh, or what we've experienced from this past season, uh, I've got no doubt that there'll be some, some substantive conversation uh, spring, summertime about what future football schedule will look like within the conference. Well, Jim, then that for FSU fans, that brings up the question, what do you do with the Florida game? And, you know, how do you position that? Because you like to have the offsets against Miami in terms of your home schedule. Have you gotten that far along? Or is there anything you can share on that front? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'll tell you, when we really, when, when we lost the game with Florida this year, um, we've really just treated it like, um, we've just kind of treated it as a, as a casualty of COVID, but we're going to proceed as normal. Um, with uh, going to Florida next year uh, and staying on the same cadence that we have with them contractually. Uh, the, um, we, 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 again, we, when you look at the schedule and what's been put together in the out years from a non-conference perspective, we've been very intentional about what we've done in the non-conference slate relative to our conference opponents. Um, and we've got great balance there uh, in terms of home and away, uh, in addition to bringing more games back to Doak. Beginning next year, over the next 10-year period that begins this season, we will have more home games in Doak in that 10-year period than in any other 10-year period in the history of the program. So, in ter- And then the quality of those opponents have improved, obviously. Um, home and homes with Alabama, home and homes with Georgia, the Notre Dame series continues. Um, and so if we were to flip the Florida game and, and try to make that a home game this year, it would, it would completely throw out of balance um, our, 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 our scheduling um, the, the model that we've put together uh, in a very intentional manner. Um, and so, you know, you kind of look at it and, and in some of those years you find yourself, you know, going to, um, uh, what that? we'd be going to, uh, you know, Clemson, Florida and, and uh, you know, Georgia in the same year. I, I, don't, I don't know what head football coach in the country signed up for that schedule, road schedule, but. Uh, um. <laughs> well, when you were seven years old, <laughs> and Florida State played their 1981 schedule, which I know you're familiar with, the Oktoberfest. No, we said we don't want to do that anymore. There's no question. <laughs> hey, Jim. So, yeah, so it's unfortunate we lost it this year, of course, but, um, you know, we did. We were benefited by being able to bring more ACC opponents into the, you know, into the, having, a, having a 10-game schedule at the outset, of course. But I think we're all ready to kind of put 2020 behind us and just treat 21 as it, as it is and, and keep chugging along. You mentioned the new ACC commissioner. What can you tell us about Jim Phillips? I mean, everything I've read, and I don't know him, and I don't have a lot of crossover with Big Ten media per se, but I can't find anybody that has a bad word to say about him. And I know you're not going to do it in this forum, <laughs> but I'm just curious what context you can add. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I haven't had any personal interaction with him, uh, but I, I hear the same thing. I mean, there's a lot of people that I've got great relationships with across the industry um, who have had uh, really substantive interactions with him, 
um, and it's all been very positive. So I, I think we're all really excited uh, about having that kind of fresh perspective coming in and, um, you know, obviously really appreciative for what uh, Commissioner Swafford has done for the league, um, but uh, at the same time really excited for, um, you know, having a, you know, kind of new set of eyes in there uh, coming from a, a league outside the ACC and, and seeing what they can do to try to, you know, increase the, the, the stature and, and increase the value of the league, which is already just immense to begin with. Let's go quick, big picture, and and there's not enough time to dive into both these. But but in a nutshell, and this happens even without COVID, whenever the four teams are selected for the playoff, there's always conversation about are we going to expand? Did anything that happened this past year make you think that maybe expansion is coming sooner than when the TV contracts currently mature, which is like 25, 26? I mean, I wouldn't say there's anything that that's happened, you know, either – I guess I wouldn't say there's anything that has been said either publicly or behind closed doors that would indicate that that is, that is forthcoming. You know, I, you know, as I kind of talk about it with folks here, or, you know, across the country, you know, I think you got to get back into, um, you know, one, what's kind of the purpose of that, you know, picking the four best teams, you know, and, you know, you can, you can argue who are the four best at the end of the day, but you know, the, the, you know, there's a pretty good argument to be made that they, they picked the four best teams that were out there. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's to try to get the two best teams into the final. And, you know, one thing that this has done pretty well, arguably, of course, but, and that's why, you know, we, we've got, uh, it, it's a good topic of conversation, but, you know, they've, they've done a pretty good job of getting the four best teams and getting the best two in the final. Um, you know, I think as you start talking about expansion, though, you, you, you just cannot, um, you know, dismiss or discount the, you know, what that does having a 12 game schedule, having a conference championship game, you, know, you start adding more, you know, we talk about the, the, the comparison to FCS, but FCS doesn't play 12 games. Um, so, you know, I, I think there are some concessions there that would have to be considered. Um, doesn't mean they have to occur, but, but there's a lot that goes into that, um, that, that uh, has to be part of that conversation. Well, before we let you go, we have to, I have to ask two questions. You cannot elaborate. You cannot uh, pontificate. You just have to answer. Number one, do we think the trial of having Notre Dame full participant in football has moved the needle? I'm not asking you whether they would come into the conference, but I'm asking you, has it moved the needle on the possibility of Notre Dame coming in? And who's going to win Monday night? <laughs> um, I would say that uh, on your first question there, um, they're, they're obviously great partners within the league. Um, they seem to have a, a strong affinity for their football independence, but uh, they were, they were a great addition to the league this year. And so we get to play them a lot in the next few years. And I, and I think I'm looking forward to that, uh, particularly to open up with them this, this, uh, this fall on Sunday night. Uh, only game on that night, and uh, so we're excited about hosting the, hosting the Irish this year. Whether they're ACC non-conference it doesn't matter. We're excited to have them here. Um, on the second, on the second one, man, I gotta go with Alabama. I mean, it's just too much talent there. Um, now, granted, kudos to Ohio State because they they played incredibly well, um, and and that was a very surprising result, at least for me, and I'm sure it was for many others. But um, I'll, I'll I'll go with the Tide in this one. All right, Tommy. He, he he auditioned for eliminating the senior associate in front of that title. <laughs> that first answer. 
See, there's and well, that's the thing, and there is no AC, you know, there's no ACT team, unfortunately. So you know, I can kind of, I can, you know, I don't have to. You're gonna get my my true opinion on this. Thing. There you go. There you go. How how many months are we into this now? And I have myself on mute on Zoom, so I've <laughs> unmuted. We're nine months into it, and I have myself muted. Jim, what I was going to say is uh, we don't have time to do justice to name, image, likeness, but but NLI is coming. So I, I guess uh, the last question, just a blanket, what what concerns you most as that creeps closer to coming to fruition? Yeah, I think that the, the, the things that kind of pop into mind for me are um, how do we juxtapose that with uh, some of the relationships that we've got on campus um, that, that support the enterprise, of course, um, and what we try to do to support our student athletes. Um, clearly the recruiting piece is a, is a significant concern. Um, you know, and so I think those two kind of jump off the page immediately, uh, in that space. And then we gotta, we, we're going to have to, we've talked a lot about this and this has been a focus of our efforts here is as we walk into that space, are we educating and preparing our student athletes appropriately for what that, what that paradigm will look like? Um, because it's going to be different, um, and and I think we're only scratching the surface in terms of what that was gonna what that's gonna mean for us on a day to day basis. Um, you know, does this you know does this mean that there's more regular engagement with with um, representatives and agents who have different expectations than than what our staff and coaches and administration may have on that front? Um, so it is uh, it's a it's a new world <laughs> that's for certain. But uh, we're doing our best to kind of just think about how we can prepare our student athletes to. Um, you know, do that in a really um, uh, responsible and effective way. Jim Curry from Florida State Athletics. Thanks for your perspective. A little look behind the scenes. And uh, hopefully uh, 2021 is at least a little slower for you <laughs> compared to 2020. <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> Jim, it's a good thing you lost all your hair before 2020. That's, That's the thing. I, I got the right you. haircut for the job here. Yeah, you know, exactly. I can't pull it out and I can't, and I can't grow anymore. <laughs> Front Row Knowles continues right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Thanks to Jim Curry from FSU Athletics joining us. We uh, keep that Earl Bacon Agency hotline open and say hello to Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. Uh, Bob, always, always good to see you. It's always amazing to me that football season ends and this year there wasn't even a bowl, but there's, there's not a shortage of football news. I mean, school is starting at Florida state. You've got some of the new signees and some of the transfers coming in. And so I guess save for maybe a couple weeks in June, it doesn't really slow down on the football calendar. I think the coaches know when it slows down because that's when they're going on vacation. That's when they, uh, you know, go out on a cruise or head up to the mountains or the lake. But yeah, you know, it's it's still kind of fun and exciting times. And you've got uh, Florida State has early enrollees on the high school side, on the transfer side. They're you know, beginning classes Wednesday and Thursday, so they're getting that jump start. That's that's where they get into the strength and conditioning program, and, and things begin um, as we turn the page to the twenty twenty one season. There's a and and there's a fair number of kids that are coming in early. What did I see? Seven, eight early enrollees. 
you know, that was something that uh, 15, 20 years ago was not, was not really promoted much and certainly wasn't done much, but it has now become a very regular part of the recruitment process. It seems like everything on the calendar gets expedited because everybody just wants to start early. You know, why not? Um, I think especially for quarterbacks, that's, that's been a big thing through the last decade or so. I, I remember uh, Clint Trickett was an early enrollee about 10 years ago at Florida state. So um, there's a reason for it. And I, I think it's, um, it's advantageous if you're willing to give up prom and all those really cool things from your senior year to do it, uh, get into your, your, your studies, your strength and conditioning program. You're able to compete against players bigger and stronger than you and see how you stack up. And, and it's, it's a big deal. So it's, it's, yeah, it's six high school players are here early. Um, we think three of the four transfers are here early with, um, with Andrew Parchment, the, the Kansas transfer receiver coming in May because he's going to take some classes through Kansas um, into May. So he'll be here in, here in the summer. What's your thoughts as we're, you know, four transfers into this on how Mike Norvell and staff have done overall? And I'll couch it with, uh, I mean, and I haven't looked at it lately, but I feel like on the recruiting rankings, which don't factor in the transfers, FSU is plus or minus 25th and about fourth in the ACC, depending on which, you know, site you're using. Um, and they have a chance if they get a couple more candidly to probably move up to around 20 there and basically be behind Clemson and Miami in terms of ACC recruiting. So I don't think that's that bad given where the program's been the last few years. I actually think it's pretty good. But then when you, when you layer on the transfers, it looks to me like they've done a nice job and that FSU brand is still carrying some clout out there in the transfer portal. I think the biggest thing, you know, still was getting Mackenzie Milton because you get a leader whether he gets on the field or not, you, you've got a leader for not just the quarterback room, but a mentor for those guys and, and for the entire team. Beyond that, yeah, I think they've I think they've targeted guys that they have prior relationships with or prospects who played high school football in Florida and want to come back home. Um, you know, McClellan is one of those guys from South Florida, the cornerback from Arkansas. He wanted to play in state. Um Parchment, South Florida kid, wanted to play in state. You we're seeing nationally, it's kind of a trend too. Um, you know, you know, the big offensive lineman that Florida State was in on uh, Crawford, he was at Charlotte last year, but he wanted to get closer to Texas, landed at Arkansas. So whether it's because of the pandemic or not, we're seeing guys maybe wanting to come closer to home, being closer to family, wanting to know that they can watch him play on Saturdays. So I think Norvell is going to use that comeback home thing to his advantage. And certainly with Mackenzie Milton, you know, that was announced in the days before the early signing period. I don't think for a minute that that didn't help with some early signings. And I know it had to have helped with Andrew Parchment. You know, clearly that's part of the deal. I, I want to have a quarterback receiver combination that helps, you know, both of our numbers, both of our draft prospects, moving forward. So even though Norvell doesn't have those deep relationships within Florida with the high school coaches and high school prospects, just because of how the pandemic has played out, I think he's really done the best he can to, to upgrade this roster and kind of mold it with the guys that he thinks moving forward will help him win. Bob, I'm going to be curious to see just because of my time, whether the change 
that has had to happen, i.e. no contact in the recruiting process, which I believe is slated to expire on April 15th and unless extended. But I've, I've heard and I've inferred from the coaches that while they like being out on the road and recruiting and face-to-face, they have enjoyed being home. I mean, they're working 12 and 16-hour days, but they're sleeping in their own bed, and they're not having to be out four and eight nights in a row during evaluation periods. There may be some changing to the recruitment process. I, I think so, too. I, I question, and I think it's going to be up to every head coach how you handle it and every assistant coach how you handle it. It will be very curious to see not the power five level, but let's say group of five and below, how does your recruiting budget, is it diminished because of the financial implications of the pandemic? Do you have the money to get out there and fly or rent a car or or pay the hotels, whatnot? It adds up trip after trip. I, I do think you can make a lot of connections over FaceTime, Zoom, playing video games. It's use every vehicle that you have imaginable. But also I think every coach will say, I really want to get out there. And and May is that big kind of month where we think if things do open up and if enough shots go in arms, the NCAA will say people are are vaccinated and and we'll let players, prospects go on campuses. We'll let coaches leave campuses. So I I think there will be windows where, where guys will want to leave campus for sure. But this has kind of taught us just to be creative and use technology to our advantage too. Well, and you weren't along for all of our conversation with Jim, but the basic premise was, will there be some changes, whatever they are, because of how we function during the COVID world? And I think the answer from Jim was short-term, not necessarily, but, but longer-term maybe because we all have another point of reference now and we can think about these things. And, and maybe we like not having divisions or maybe we like not being on the road as much for recruiting. So <clears throat> we'll see. Maybe the college playoff should be eight teams. So I, I think there's at least – more serious conversation. That's my thoughts. That's not exactly the way Jim put it, but I think that's fair. Let's move to basketball, Bob. We knew basketball. I mean, if we can't get football guys to play games on schedule every week, how in the world is basketball going to do it when they're playing every three days? We knew this was going to be a challenge. FSU, unfortunately, is in the, in the throes of it right now. Missed the Duke game. Missed a game tonight. I'm not overly optimistic that there'll be a game this Saturday at Pitt. Any, any intel you can share with us? Yeah, I think the coaching staff is trying to stay as positive as possible and connect with the players via Zoom. You know, they're able to meet, talk, you know, go over film, uh, preview prospective opponents, but they are not able to to practice right now. And, and will that change moving forward in the coming days? I think it's as Leonard Hamilton has said, be patient. Things are fluid. Um, it, it's a really tough situation, not just at Florida State, but across the ACC as, as games are being canceled and the conference is trying to play matchmaker and, and find opponents, um, try to quickly arrange games. And I can't imagine how a coaching staff has to adapt and shift gears on a scouting report and turn around in 48 or 72 hours and play a game. But that's, that's the reality of where we are. I, I think this has just reinforced, let's enjoy the games that we, we can watch. And in Florida State's case in particular, I, I think this is going to be a hopefully a temporary pause, but I'm not feeling good about a pit game on Saturday either. The thing that bothers me, and I didn't play basketball, but I've been around it, at least seen it, 
is, as you mentioned, uh, at least is based on what we know, Florida State's not able to practice. And we've heard stories, if you followed the media, where other teams have gone six days, eight days, 10 days without workouts. Kids can go do a little bit on their own, but they obviously have not done anything in an organized fashion. And then you are going to ask them to play three games in five days or three games in six days. And I just worry about the physical part on basketball, even more so than football, uh, just because of the nature of the sport. 100% agree. And I, I said this probably nine months ago, we need to be super flexible with the schedule and the calendar. And if postseason tournaments need to be pushed back, then they absolutely need to be pushed back. If CBS and the networks are willing to move things around, and, and they really should be, then that's what should be done because we don't want a situation where we're forcing college basketball players to, like you said, three games in five or six days just because we're trying to jam in one more game or you know make one more trip. I, I don't know what the best answers are, but if you ask me right now, should, should everything proceed on schedule, which is an ACC tournament in early March and then followed with the start of March Madness, I don't think that's the way it should specifically go unless you literally have the mindset of let's just play safely what regular season games we can and then get to the postseason, which frankly is the real moneymaker for college athletics around the country. It, those tournaments finance a lot of things that athletics departments for more than 300 Division I schools do. It's critical. Tom and I were talking off the record uh, earlier this week, and I looked it up. I, at least I think I looked it up because Tom raised the question. Um, based on what I was able to find, the current minimum game count to qualify is 13 games, where normally the season is 27, and if you get the three-for-ones or four-for-ones, you can get the 30 or 31 games. But is that your understanding, or have you looked at it? That you, you, the minimum is 13. Yeah, I, I haven't looked at it, to be honest, but I think it's a question for a lot of these, let's use the Atlantic Sun or some of the other leagues that started up right around January 1. Then you have to hope in that case that you're able to get to 13. And, you know, how does it all add up? I think we might have a scenario somewhere along the lines of an Ohio State with football where the Buckeyes played those, what was it, six regular season games and there were questions about were they deserving or not. You know, the good thing is on the, the college basketball stage, you, you've got a field of 68. But still, do you have questions if you're on the selection committee about, let's say, school A has played 10, 12, 13 games. School B has played 20 or more. Well, if the resumes are comparable, but one school just hasn't shown you enough because they haven't had enough games because of COVID. Well, how do you weigh that? And is it too late to even expand the field? Do you want to even try to do that this late? Is it possible? I think we have so many questions out there, but it's, again, I, I just say enjoy the games and, and let's hope that this all kind of sorts out in the coming months. Well, think about it related to FSU. All of us would agree, anybody who follows FSU, are they one of the top 68 teams in the country? Absolutely. But if they only play, say, 10 more games, they're sitting five and two right now. I'm not looking at the schedule. What if they go six and four in the league? Because as we all know, Leonard teams get better as the year goes on. Well, that gets them to what? 11 and six. And it gets them to, 
six and four in the conference or something like that. Is that a resume that they're going to say you're in the tournament if that's all the games you have, even though we all know they're one of the best 68 teams? I mean, it's just unfortunate. And, and what got scoffed at at the time was back in the summer when the ACC coaches proposed that every college basketball team be invited to a tournament of 363 teams or however many there are that play college basketball. It got laughed at, but when you look at it now, it would eliminate that whole beauty contest and just say, let's do it. I, I kind of hate that this has become a, a beauty contest, but it, it, it clearly has in college football and, and college basketball because of this scenario. I, I wonder what the infrastructure of the NCAA's plan would allow with them going to Indiana and, and hosting all those games up there. And they've, they've clearly got hotel rooms and arenas and they'll book it all and set it up. But I, I just, I'm curious, can you go from 68 to 96? Is that an accommodation that you feel like you can make just so that a lot of these schools where you're looking at the resumes and you're curious, you know, in a normal year, that's not a good enough resume, but this isn't a normal year. This is a year where maybe it just has value to have a much bigger tournament or you give some buys to some of the top, I don't know, eight, 16 schools and you, you get a bunch of play in type of games I think there needs to be some creative thinking as well as just looking at the calendar and saying, what can we do? What, what makes sense here? Yeah. I mean, you could go to 128 teams and you're just adding one more round, right. To do it that way. I wonder, and the ACC. Yeah, but that's 64, that's 64 more teams in Indianapolis. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you could, we won't get into the – you could have two bubbles if you wanted to, you know, and split it up differently. I know that ship is – Potentially, no question. already set everybody up in Indiana. Right. You know, the ACC tournament is when this all started. Keith, you were there last year. But listen to this conversation and just thinking it through, it really feels like conference tournaments shouldn't happen this year and they should use that extra period to make up some of these games that aren't being played now instead of trying to bring 15 teams into the same venue. I understand they stay in different hotels, but at some point – they're rotating through the same locker rooms. They're playing on the same court, all that type of stuff. Well, all of that, guys, in my opinion, is based on the ability to sell tickets because unlike the national tournament with CBS, there are some television rights associated with the ACC tournament, SEC tournament, that type of thing. But the ticket sales are a much higher proportion of the revenue than is the case for the national tournament. And so I think that will be a driving factor, what, two months, two and a half months from now, relative to what you're doing. But North, where we're at. but North Carolina has been really locked down. I don't even know that there's any basketball schools in North Carolina who are allowed to have home fans this year, unless that's changed recently. And, so are there even fans and, and going? Goodness to knows. And goodness knows. And have you noticed this? Bob, I'd be interested in your opinion. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a problem watching college games and pro games football with nobody in the stands but it's a little disconcerting to watch a basketball game with very few people in the stands that's a much different environment have y'all noticed that has it affected you that way it's a different feel I think the energy is is lacking and it's not a knock on the fans it's just the pure numbers in the arena um you know one of the things we kind of picked up on is it seemed like there are more runs in college basketball and, and players aren't able to feed off the energy in the arena to help kind of spark that run. And we, we've seen, you know, Florida State at its best, that crowd support 
is really providing a boost, you know, whether you're trying to rally and, and come back and win a game or whether you're in front, you're trying to extend the lead. So I, I'm with you guys. I, I don't know how this is all going to play out. Do you move the ACC tournament for a year to a state where the governor says, sure, we'll allow people in the stands. Maybe it's in a football stadium so that you can distance a little bit more. I, I mean, do you try a Mercedes-Benz stadium in Atlanta, just throwing out a random option just so that you can get more people there? Um, I mean, heck, they they do basketball in the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, so it's, it's not necessarily unprecedented to try something like that for – for a conference tournament. Well, they played first and second, third round games yeah. <laughs> like that as well in the, in the big tournament. Yeah. It's, I think, I think every option should legitimately be on the table because in the end we're talking about player safety, coach safety, all that, but it still comes down to the bottom line too financially of, of what works for the sport and for college athletics. Man, what a mess. We, we all thought naively way back in March that, you know, this would be a one month, two month. And then we got the football season started. And here we are. We're talking about how it's going to impact next football season. Bob, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, at least there's a little bit more on field conversation than there was back in the summer. But it's still a lot of the same topics. Good info as always. So thank you, Bob. Take care. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante and Front Row Knowles continues after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ wrapping things up. A lot to react to over those last couple of segments. I guess I want to... Uh, did you agree with sort of my synopsis that I presented to Bob on what Jim said, which was more or less, you know, this past year may lead to more serious conversation and some potential changes down the line, but they're not imminent. They're not coming this year. Well, what, what I, my interpretation would be that 2020 was such an outlier that we're not going to implement anything in 2021 because we want to get back to some form of no, normal. But once we get into 2021 and we start talking beyond that, let's reflect back on some of the things we may may have been exposed to or learned from and implement after the fact. That's how I would kind of couch it. uh, And and I think the other thing that out of of Jim's conversation, and I know some old-time diehard Florida State faithful are not going to be happy that FSU is quote-unquote playing Florida – consecutive games in the swamp, uh, although there was the COVID year in between. But if you look at, and Jim did a very good job of talking about the, you know, the five, 10 year uh, horizon. Um, If you change that Florida game and start lumping it in where you're playing Florida and Miami at home in the same year, and therefore playing at Florida and then at wherever and at wherever in the same year, Long-term, that is not a viable, sustainable thing for Florida State. So I know old-time Florida State faithful will be disappointed in giving up a home game during the COVID season. 
but it's the right decision. And I, I think they've done a very good job with it. You're, you're 100% right. To me, the only scenario to, to avoid going back to Gainesville would be if you could set up a neutral site, but why would Florida want to do that and give up a home game? So it's status quo is what it appears to be. Well, one of the stories that was talked about beginning of, of the season was the potential for FSU and Florida to maybe play in a, a kickoff game of some type. But that negated or neglected to think about the fact that Miami, excuse me, Florida State is scheduled to play Notre Dame kick off the season for 2021. And I don't think you'd want to entertain trying to do both of those in a year. Right, right. Your point about the long-term scheduling and how it's not, uh, you know, it's like maneuvering a an aircraft carrier. You can't just do it on a dime. I think that's why I, I am much more optimistic that change will come in terms of the college football playoff and the scheduling model ultimately. But I, I think now it ultimately is, is to me, it's more definitive. It'll happen when the TV contract breaks at 25, 26, because if you're the ACC, it doesn't make a lot of sense to change your whole scheduling model right now. If you don't know if the college football playoff is going to expand or not. So it needs to go the other way. They'll determine, okay, we are going to expand and people will know a little bit more about the parameters, but I still think it's when the TV contract breaks that there's the best chance that happens. The only thing that might speed it up is if the financial downside is so great that they got to go quicker. Yeah. They got to move quicker. And, and then what, hopefully would happen with the moving quicker is you would have a more centralized controlling body or commissioner because what happens is the individual schools are trying to protect their own rights. So Florida state is going out and doing home and home with Alabama, you know, six and eight years in LSU three and five years and Georgia seven and nine years because they're trying to protect themselves. Where have you had a centralized scheduling entity with the power to do it you just wait and let them do that for you so to speak yeah so uh, I think the financial thing and you you brought this up in a private conversation um and I, think, I guess you mentioned it to Jim as well but golly we thought that going into this year with finances being as bad as they are projected to be as bad as they are there wouldn't be dismissals and buyouts and that type of thing and certainly there haven't been a huge number but there've been a few and they've been very expensive. Yeah. It's reverting to the norm quickly. As we finish up, Keith, the basketball conversation, I'm not optimistic about this pit game and I'm actually in line to pinch hit for Gene this weekend because he's going to be with the bucks. So I'm hoping I get a chance to work uh, and, and call that game. But uh, if you think about the math on it, it was late last Friday night that there was the positive test. And I don't know how many people are quarantined, for, for Florida state or how many are isolating because they have COVID, but it is my understanding of what Bob said, they're not practicing at all. And with the new CDC guidelines, even if you don't have it, you got to go at least seven days and have a negative test before you're around others. So seven days with a negative test from last Friday night would be this Friday night, plus or minus 9 PM or whenever they got the result, which means you'd have to fly to Pittsburgh somehow six feet apart on a 50 seat regional jet and not practice at all and then play a two o'clock game against Pitt, the most you could have is a walkthrough on Saturday morning. That doesn't seem like a great scenario. Not only that, and and forgive me for the simplicity of this, but you can't meet. So you got everybody in a hotel room on Zoom in an out-of-town hotel. That just seems odd too, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, again, I don't know the numbers. Maybe it's it's only a fraction of them that are out, but – 
Uh, just get used to it, folks. Buckle in. That's the way this year is going to go. Keith, we're out of time. Good show. Talk to you next week. Sounds good. This is Front Row Knowles. Control.